Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, good afternoon to you. Thursday, May the 5th. Some of us, that means it's Cinco de Mayo. And for the rest of us, that means it is the National Day of Prayer. First Thursday in the month of May every year. And my goodness, as we go along through the days and years, it seems as if every passing year of the National Day of Prayer gives us more reasons to be in prayer before the throne of grace. That certainly is to be true in this 2022 National Day of Prayer. The theme this year as we prepare our hearts and minds, is exalting the Lord. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. A lot to unpack in that scripture verse. And the best man to do it, One of my favorite people on planet Earth, and I hope he's one of yours, too. He is the founding and senior pastor of Axeville Gospel Church of Christ in Oakland, an amazing man who is at the core a tremendous lover of Jesus. Bishop Bob Jackson, always a privilege to have you with us. Thank you so much, Craig. I'm glad to be with you, as always, and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. We're going to have a short one today, but that's a good excuse to bring you back, because we're, we're definitely overdue for a nice long visit. Uh, but on this National Day of Prayer, Bishop Jackson, share, if you would, some of the things that are troubling your heart in terms of where our nation is today and the need for the church to be on its face before the throne of grace And then before our time winds up, I'm going to ask you to lead all of us in a time of prayer. But let's start with the things that you really feel are important that we as the church, the body of Christ, really need to be serious about and literally bombarding the throne of grace with our prayer and supplications. Well, I'm glad you asked. The thing that really uh, touches my heart is the fact that there's so much demonic activity going on right now, and the church seems to be oblivious to it. Uh, the spiritual warfare is not being conducted, at least not according to the Word of God as I read it. And and most church people, most pastors and churches, are not even concerned about spiritual warfare and spirits that are operating uh, in the land today. And these spirits are just, I mean, they're taking over. And I think the church has missed a golden opportunity, you know, to take authority. In, in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the Lord Jesus said... To us, the church, he was talking to the disciples, but to us, he said, in my name you shall cast out devils. And I really don't hear people, you know, uh, pastors, churches, ministers, uh, members of the church, I don't hear enough of them casting out devils in the name of Jesus. And I think that's one of the biggest things that concern me, that spiritual warfare is going on, Craig, but if, if you don't know who the enemy is, then you end up fighting yourselves. And 
Well, and and, you know, Bishop Bob, we're all familiar with the term friendly fire, where one of our own shoots one of our own. It it happens all the time on the battlefield in the sense of excitement or maybe misidentification. But it also strikes me that these days we, we seem to have created sort of this powder keg of stress amongst ourselves. And we think that each other is the enemy instead of looking at another person who, yes, may be living like the devil and 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 fully displaying their fallen sin condition. But instead of seeing that individual as a person who is a sinner in need of a savior, we characterize them, quote unquote, as an enemy. And yet scripture tells us that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in high places. So even when we do do battle, Bishop Bob, it seems as if our, our, our focus is on the wrong enemy. And you're absolutely correct, and that's exactly what concerns me so much. Is we don't know who the enemy is, it appears, and we end up fighting each other. You know, Craig, before the Lord saved me, uh, May 16, 1977, 8.45 on a Monday morning, before the Lord saved me, let me tell you something, I was in a motorcycle gang, and we had a great motorcycle gang. I mean, the the, the fellowship that we had was so close, even, even closer than your normal family, I would say. And, you know, when we didn't have people to fight. We didn't have enemies really to fight against. You know what we would do, Craig? We would fight against each other. Huh. Because yep. we were fighters. And when you talk, when you look at Ephesians 6, and Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God and putting, you know, preparing for spiritual battle, I can just see the church sitting up there with their helmet, with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that has got the shield of faith, that has got all of the gear on, and sitting up there, and, and all of a sudden, one go to turn around with his sword in his hand, hit another one upside the head, next thing you know, he hit him back, and he hit him back, <laughs> next thing you know, they're fighting, because they're, they're warriors, and they're set up for battle, but if you don't direct them to who the enemy really is, that's exactly what we do, the Catholics against the Baptists and the Baptists against the Methodists and Methodists against the Church of Christ and Church of Christ against the Church of God in Christ. And the only time we seem to be in unison or be on the cord is Resurrection Sunday, which some people call Easter. Resurrection Sunday, we preach that the Lord Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. Then we go right back to our our. our silos where we end up fighting with one another. I just don't think, you know, that's what God's design in and his will is uh, for the world today and for the church at this moment. This would be the time that the church is fasting and praying like never before and taking authority over every foul spirit, every unclean spirit, every demonic spirit that's operating in the name of Jesus and casting those demons out in the name of Jesus. I just believe, now you talk to some people in the church and they say, oh boy, you, you really believe all that, man, you're really radical. Yeah, not radical, just obedient to the Word of God. That's what the Word of God says. If you don't know the enemy, you've already lost the contest. Yeah, and, and you know, when we go to battling each other, uh, which is exactly what the devil wants. You know, he's he's taken this approach of divide and conquer from day one, de- yes, demonstrated absolutely. in the Garden of Eden. If he yes. can just get us fighting each other instead yes. of our real enemy, then the effectiveness of the church will be nullified. The, yes. the, the tip of the sword will be blunted. We'll yes. have no impact. And then we wonder what's going on in the world around us and, and, and how come folks are, are living the way they are. Well, because there's no one out there to make disciples 
and to be that shining light. And boy, we need two hours because, you know, I, I, I was just thinking the other day that it, it, it seems as if the church is is doing more these days, at least some factions within the church is doing more these days uh, about bringing the heat. They love to bring the heat, but they're not too interested in bringing the light. And the church needs to be bringing the light. My God, what a word. <laughs> that was a word, Greg. I'm telling you, praise God, but you're absolutely correct. So we have to get, a, as the disciples said, we have to be about our Father's business. And right now, the end is in sight. I mean, Russia is threatening World War Three mm-hmm. with Ukraine over there and anybody that interferes with what Putin is doing. Let me tell you something. We're, we're on the verge of destruction in this world. And I'm not saying that the frighten anybody because COVID is already doing enough of that, either COVID or the the vaccination. But the point I'm getting at is if we need to wake up, the Bible says, awake to righteousness and sin not, and realize that our priorities ought to be on these demonic spirits that are fighting and taking over the lives of people. A lot of people that the mental health people are saying are are mentally, you know, uh, uh, unstable and having mental problems. A lot of those are demonic spirits that are possessing people and the help people don't know the difference between spiritual problems and mental problems when it comes down to that but they don't want to look at a person being three parts body soul and spirit which god says that's how we're designed so the spirit of man is in trouble because god intended for us to be filled with his holy spirit and intended for us to be able to pray amen and come together in the name of jesus and craig if i can just one script share a scripture Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, kind of wraps it up for me. And that 18th chapter, Matthew, the 19th verse, listen to this. He says, again, I say unto you, this is the Lord Jesus talking, red-lettered in your Bible. He says, again, I say unto you, that if two of you, watch this, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. Now, now, Craig, that's that's carte blanche as far as I'm concerned. That's Mastercard. That's yep. that's Visa. That's 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 guaranteed that's prayer. American Express. <laughs> that's American Express. But listen, where where are the people coming together in agreement? We can't agree on anything. I'm talking about the church. Yep. We have the Bible, but this guy translates it one way, interprets it. This guy trans- interprets it another way. This guy thinks that this means this and this. And secular humanism has come into the body of Christ. It's so bad. Yeah, I mean, it's rampant right now. And people would rather believe a lie than believe the truth. You know, again, these are the serious last days. But you realize the prayer of agreement and on this day, Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, the the day of prayer, we should all be together in agreement concerning the problems that we have in the city. And as a matter of fact, we shouldn't wait one year to do it once a year, but we should do it every day. Amen. We should and, be in agreement praying and, for this country, and I just praying wanna... for the leaders. These political leaders, I'm telling you, you don't know who's lying and who's telling the truth, but I'm telling you, Greg, they are leading us down a bad road, I believe, a lot of them. God is still in control, and he's still sovereign. But where's the church at this particular yeah, time? We, That's we, my, my, my problem. We, we need to be on our knees, and we need to look at a day like today. Some people say, oh, we have the big culmination 
Christians across the country are going to pray for one day and then go back to living like the devil, the other 364. That's exactly the point. That's, you, you hit the yeah. nail on the head. Yeah. This, and we do that. And Oh, it sounds so good. We have the National Day of Prayer. We pray one day, Lord, bless our church, bless our country, bless our city, bless our state, and, and Lord, we thank you. We'll see you again next year. Yeah. That point in saying is, <laughs> those, those kind of things, those days should be way over. We are in some serious Serious. Bible says it'd be perilous times. We're uh, we're looking at perilous times right now, all over the news, everywhere. But if the church would just get in agreement, if we just can agree, first of all, that God answers prayer. Secondly, that if we pray in the name of Jesus, it's almost prayer. I mean, it's really prayer guaranteed. And according to the Word of God, if we pray the Word of God back to God, He promises that His Word would not return unto Him void. So we we have a to me we have a moral responsibility. We are the we are the vanguards of this world. We are the ones that that, that, that are supposed to be causing this world to walk upright in the name of Jesus. We have the authority. We have the power. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. And where are we when it comes down to spiritual warfare? Yeah, we're missing an action. And the the reality, the wake-up call here is, and we'll, we'll part on this note, um, we need to start taking all of this seriously. Because you can better believe one thing. And we have the outline. We, we know exactly what, what the enemy's plan is because it's all delineated for us in Scripture. If we don't take it seriously, you bet me on this, the enemy of our soul is taking all of this quite seriously. And so this ought to be a day where the church comes together, not as a culmination in one day and then back to business as usual, but rather see today as a day of holy consecration before the Lord, that we would commit and dedicate ourselves to not just a short season, but to a lifetime committed to prayer and to fasting, because we are facing serious times, and as John 10.10 reminds us, the enemy of our soul walketh about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Church, don't let us become bait for the enemy, but rather let's rise up as the church victorious, standing shoulder to shoulders. Christ prayed that they all might be one, that we would come together in prayer, fasting, and supplication, beseech God, and then after having prayed, going and doing. Bishop Bob Jackson, senior founder of the Axful Gospel Church in Oakland. Bishop Bob, we've got to get you back on real soon. And whoever thought 10 minutes was <laughs> going to be adequate <laughs> doesn't know us. <laughs> Bishop Bob Jackson, they're online at axfullgospel.org, axfullgospel.org. Bishop Bob Jackson from Axful Gospel Church of God in Christ in the city of Oakland. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Wasn't that a great visit with Bishop Bob Jackson? I hope if you're uh, new to the San Francisco Bay Area, maybe looking for a new church home, you'll check him out there at Axeville Gospel. Amazing guy and uh, real lover of the Lord. Coincidentally to uh, today's conversation coming up next, I happened to be uh, perusing YouTube the other day and ran across a video that was produced, a film actually, in the late uh, 1940s, probably early 1950s more accurately, that was talking about mental health in America. And you know what's interesting, if you sort of juxtapose the way we address the issue today versus back in those days, well, in those days we had 
sanitariums. We used electroshock therapy, long-term isolation. That was the way we managed mental health in the 1950s. Fast forward to the 1980s, and by then we closed all the sanitariums, outlawed electroshock therapy, and handed folks a self-help book perhaps a stack of transcendental meditation tapes and wished them well. When we talk about wellness, certainly from a biblical perspective, that includes not just one's spiritual well-being, one's physical well-being, but also the mental and emotional well-being. Sadly, though, in this day and age, with the amount of stressors that are all around us, whether you talk about wars and rumors of wars, vis-a-vis what's happening right now in Ukraine, to the stress of the pandemic that we've been dealing with and continue to deal with, uh, to be sure, a lot of folks are struggling these days. Sadly, though, this remains a topic that we're uncomfortable discussing in polite company. In fact, a recent survey that was done by George Barna Group finds that um, Fully 49% of American pastors hardly ever, if at all, speak to their congregation about mental well-being. This, of course, um, does nothing to help the needle move towards a better sense of wholeness and wellness. And so what do we do? How do we deal with the stressors of life that can in so many ways uh, play upon our minds and exacerbate troubles? Well, offering some insights now is Pastor Brad Hafes. He is founder of Fresh Hope, senior pastor of Anchor of Hope Church in Omaha, Nebraska. And thank you so much, Pastor Hafes, for being with us today. Thank you. Great to be here with you. We uh, we saw this sad topic of mental well-being show up in the news in just the last uh, 72-something hours uh, with the revelation of the apparent suicide of a country singer Naomi Judd, who, by the way, was it was an open professing Christian, um, yes. making all of us wonder what was going on, what kind of challenges was she facing, what was it about her life where she felt that this was the only way out? And when we look at the rate of suicide today, particularly amongst young people, teenagers. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of people that struggle with this topic, and yet, sadly, the one area that we ought to see the greatest openness in addressing this and the greatest degree of success, quite frankly, ought to be within the church, and yet, sadly, we kind of seem to be the last place for mental health well-being. Why is that? Well, interestingly enough, uh, when people have mental health challenges, the first place they go is to their church. And um, research that's been done is uh, shows that people first go to their pastor for um, a mental health challenge, uh, then do go to their psychiatrist, doctor, nurse, nurse practitioner, counselors, therapists, psychologists combined. Wow! And yet, the church is the least likely place they will find where it's talked about openly, like you're saying. And um, so what happens is people begin to think that there's kind of this guilt that sets in if people have depression or struggle and they think something's wrong with me, I don't have enough faith, I have moral failure, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is that when people have true blue mental health issues like clinical depression, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or those kinds of things, 
When they have those things, it's nothing more than a dysfunction of another organ in their body called the brain. And it's no more spiritual than the rest of their body is. And yet, somehow we have misunderstood that in the Christian church. And um, people are many times judged, or uh, the stigma is there that somehow uh, the mental health challenge is a more moral failure or a faith failure, when in fact our mind is what our brain does. And the brain is just like every other part of the body, so when the brain misfunctions, misfires, it's all based upon electrical current and chemicals in our brains, uh, then we're not going to be in our right mind. And um, for instance, Naomi Judd, um, who I just released a, I just released an interview that I did with her three years ago, just today. Um, Naomi had severe depression, and uh, she also had a severe anxiety. And, you know, if clinical depression gets bad enough, it, it does end in death many times for people. Mental illness can kill you. And uh, unfortunately, that's what happened for her. And uh, and interestingly enough, the church of all places has the real hope that people who are hopeless need, along with their medicine. Medicine's not enough. Seeing the doctor's not enough. Therapy's not enough. And uh, the church can provide support groups and. Um, a community of believers where people are filled with hope knowing that God will take even the worst of our pain and our most desperate hopelessness and turn it around and make it work for our good. And I think, you know, as you're, I think you're suggesting around the periphery that there is a very dysfunctional attitude in the way we address this issue, uh, failing to recognize that Yes, there are spiritual components, there are emotional components, but there are also brain chemistry components involved here, too. And to be dismissive of that and suggest that, well, you're only having these feelings of depression or uh, (laughs) demonstrating bipolar disorder because, you know, there's sin in your life or you don't have enough faith, uh, things of this sort. I mean, I, I would compare it to looking at an individual, I have a family member who is dealing with um, Alzheimer's dealing with with dementia uh, to say that well that's clearly just a you know you need to spend more time in prayer and you won't uh, you won't have the dementia problems where you're having hallucinations and forgetfulness and and beginning to lose motor skills I mean, it, to suggest something like that would be the penultimate in cruelty and so we say well who would ever do such a thing like that and yet and yet for the person struggling with depression that they just can't seem to get out of, we think, you know, it's a panacea. Just take take a take a, a spiritual pill and all will be well again. And it's, it's very short-sighted. And perhaps the reason why, as our guest tonight is suggesting, uh, a lot of people turn to the church for help. But sadly, the vast majority of that group find none. How can we change that? Pastor Bed Hafe's with us today. We are talking about dealing with the challenges of mental illness and, most importantly, what we can do to provide encouragement, hope, 
and healing. Information available on the web at freshhope.us. That's freshhope.us. We'll return to more of our discussion with Pastor Brad Hafes as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back. Our conversation with Pastor Brad Hofs, pastor of Anchor of Hope Church in Omaha. And uh, we're talking about the challenges of uh, mental health and, and what we can do to more accurately not only diagnose, but ultimately help address it. And, you know, it's no surprise, as we were discussing, Pastor, before the break, it oftentimes people come seeking solutions and they wind up walking away feeling even more hopeless because we've either been dismissive or we've trivialized what's what's taking place in their life. And yet it seems to me from a scriptural perspective, God is not only interested in certainly our spiritual well-being, but the well-being of our whole person, including our, our mental health. But sadly, the church struggles with providing solutions and answers. How do we change that? Well, I think we change it by people talking about it, just like we are today, and helping um, churches deal with, you know, we know the brain is the last thing we really know a lot about. We're, we're finding more and more and more out about it. And when we do that, uh, science is catching up to Scripture. For instance, uh, Paul says that we're to take captive our thinking. Well, neuroscientists will tell us that if you can change your brain chemistry, you can help your brain chemistry, you can work alongside the medicine when you take captive your thinking, and you can actually detox your brain. And uh, so it's things like that where, just like we know that prayer helps every kind of disorder, every kind of disease that our body fits, we can do that same thing with mental illnesses. And, um, but a mental illness is no more uh, demonic than any other illness is. You know, it's no more spiritual. The problem is, is that it's the brain is the organ that's sick, and that organ is deciding what it will do for itself, so to speak. And uh, there's a lot of behaviors that come about that are difficult, um, that are, you know, Mental illness is not the excuse. People have to be responsible. But at the same time, it's the explanation for why people do what they do or say what they do. Just like you were saying, if you have a family member with Alzheimer's or something like that. Um, so I think the more we talk about it, the more we unfold the complexities of it and the dynamics of it, the better we will become at helping people and giving hope. One of my greatest frustrations is that I am a trained uh, Lutheran pastor, right? I went to the seminary, I have undergraduate work and all of that. And what they told us at the seminary was hands off when it comes to counseling people with mental illnesses or mental health issues, you're not a clinician, right? rightfully so. But at the same time, What's happened is the Christian church has just kind of been either you find churches that are going to cast out everything or they are absolutely hands off and people just have to uh, go to their doctor for the mental health. When in fact, we know from the research regarding mental health challenges that people who have uh, 
been helped by their faith in their mental health recovery and have received peer-to-peer support within a support group, they actually get better faster and they stay better longer when faith is involved. Well, well I think what, and, you're, what you're pointing to, Pastor, is the, the demonstrative of the notion that this is layered, that this is complex. I mean, let's, let's revert oh, back yeah. to, to the physical health issue. If somebody is sick and they need surgery, from a Christian perspective, what we would say, let's bring the elders together, let's pray, we'll lay on of hands, and then we'll pray for that person, encourage that person to be, uh, to be in prayer as well, and then we'll see what the doctor have to say and 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 it's usually right. hand in glove uh you know where, where it's it's not either or but both and sadly though that's not been our approach for mental health we either completely dismiss, right. dismissive and say oh it must be a spiritual issue we don't want to recognize any of the 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 potential um, medical aspects of all of this and yet as i pointed out before the break and that would be as ludicrous as to suggest that a person that's struggling with dementia uh just simply needs to pray more or needs to read the bible more exactly or if you take somebody who's had a, a brain tumor or something, and you you realize how it affects their thinking and their being. It can change their personalities. A stroke can change your personality. So uh, you know, we just know so much more about how uh, feelings happen, uh, memory works, how the brain works, and because of that, now some things that we've written off to be spiritual are really, in fact, known no less physical than any other part of our body. And um, if we just start thinking of mental illnesses as being a physical illness, that the, the brain is diseased, it's disordered, and sometimes it happens because people have early on trauma in their lives. Uh, for instance, Naomi Judd had incredible painful trauma when she was younger as well as there was a lot of mental illness in the family. And um, so genetically, she was predisposed to having an illness, just like she would have been if there was heart disease or anything else. And um, if we would just say, okay, I'm not going to think of mental illness as being different than physical illness. It is a physical illness. And that is complex. And we pray, and we, but see, when we don't talk about it, you know, I have a friend who had a brain tumor, um, and when when her church friends found out she had a brain tumor, I mean, they had carts, they had potlucks, they had everything, you know, and she had the surgery, and they just, boy, people called and took good care of them. And a year later, she ended up having clinical depression and was hospitalized for it and no one came by and no one said a word now same church same people they should have reacted the same way but they didn't and um, it left her to feel like she should be ashamed of herself that there's something wrong with her when in fact her brain was still in shock from the surgery a year before that yeah, and you see, as long as we allow an environment that essentially stigmatizes all of this, um, people are going to be afraid to to come forward. Um, if they do come to try and find help and don't receive it, 
They're going to look elsewhere that may not always be the healthiest pathway for them, meaning sometimes people will turn to, you know, uh, uh, self-treatment, meaning abusive drugs, things of that sort, to essentially anesthetize the pain. And in the end, we should be creating within the church an environment that doesn't drive people away or stigmatize, but rather makes them feel welcome, that they have a place where they can come and find help, hope, and healing. Very complicated topic and one that we'll need to uh, spend some time on another edition of Lifeline unpacking because uh, this is uh, not discussed in the open as far often and frankly and kindly as it ought to be within the church. We appreciate Pastor Brad Hafes for being with us today to uh, help shed some light on this very important topic of mental well-being, mental health within the church. More information available on the web at freshhope.us. That's freshhope.us. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. We're at 10 away from 6 o'clock here on this edition of Lifeline. Dr. Roger Chen coming up in a little bit, featured tonight on our KFAX Church of the Week conversation we're looking forward to. Get a chance to uh, introduce his ministry to you. We'll do that coming up in a few minutes. Church, it's an opportunity, well, not just an opportunity, a necessity for us to stand up. And now, in the wake of what appears to be a foregone conclusion in relationship to the SCOTUS vote on the abortion issue in Roe versus Wade, we need to, um, we really need to step up to the plate and now demonstrate for women that find themselves in unexpected, unplanned, sometimes even crisis level pregnancies that we're here for them. It's one thing to demand that laws be changed, but once having done so, the human side still needs to be addressed. And one of the organizations that have been doing that for decades now of being there for women when they're facing the uncertainty of an unplanned pregnancy is Real Options. And of course, a big part of this is not only being available and at the disposal of women who find themselves wrestling with these very incredibly critical, literally life-changing decisions, but also with the same token education. And um, it, it really has to be, if it's going to be successful, needs to be a, a two-pronged approach. And that's exactly the approach being taken by Real Options. And to tell us more is the education manager on behalf of Real Options, Charmaine Williams. Charmaine, great to have you with us today. And let's talk a bit about this whole notion of, of education, why this is important, particularly providing education and insights for young people. And I understand even from your own personal background, uh, there's some relatability to this topic. So give us some insights as to a little bit about your own personal experience and why you feel that education is so important and necessary for young people today. Well, thank you, Craig. I'm so excited to be on with you this uh, evening, and I'm excited to work for Real Options, especially in this area of education. So we have a really uh, a three-pronged approach to the work that we do at Real Options. It's preventative. It, um, we also work to make sure that there's a restorative component, and you've had uh, people speak about that, and then um, it's intervention. And right now, I would say education, though we are considered preventative, 
are really also in this intervention area, particularly as we move through the whole thing with COVID. Uh, we're still dealing with a lot of that. And particularly here in Northern California, we have nearly two years where our students have been uh, learning from home, um, trying to reconnect with their friends, uh, barely have started to kind of interact with each other again, and feeling really lost and confused around a lot of different things that are happening in society. So right now, education is playing a vital role in what needs to be done in all schools, whether Christian, private, charter, um, homeschooling, all of it is, is really needed right now where we really focus on relationship education. And, you know, looking at this, uh, let's face it, when we when we start our our role in life, be it as a husband or a wife for the first time or later on as a first-time parent, uh, other than maybe the Scripture, we don't get handed a manual saying, okay, you know, when you buy a new car, you get a manual. You buy a new TV set, you get a manual. When you get married, they don't hand you a manual. When you become a parent, you're not handed a manual. But in a sense, it, it really is necessary. And I guess toward that end, the education that's being offered for young people um, through the work of Real Options provides that manual, in a sense, and, and oftentimes really a tremendous aid for parents who, quite frankly, uh, absent their own understanding um, and comfort level in explaining to a young person all of these matters. Uh, this can be in a real godsend. Talk to oh, us a bit about yeah. exactly why that <laughs> is and how so. So my husband and I, we've been married 31 years, and we have four adult daughters. Our youngest just turned 18 in March, and a new son-in-law. So um, we have really been uh, involved in marriage and parenting for a long time. In fact, um, for us, we were prompted to get into uh, this whole realm of premarital. Um, my husband and I teach classes. Uh, this was 29 years ago um, when uh, we started taking premarital classes and recognizing that there was a gap that literally most people did not know what it was going to take to be in a marriage that lasts, a marriage that is successful, a marriage where there's intimacy and vulnerability. And so uh, when we saw that, um, we were thankful that our pastor, we'd been married about three years, and my husband was the youngest deacon in our church at that time, and um, I was on bed rest with my twin daughters, and God just put it on my heart, you know what, there's a ministry here, there's something that needs to be done so that couples have a better understanding of what it takes to be in a marriage, be in a relationship. We all bring baggage in. We all have things that, uh, that have, you know, created uh, some skittishness or um, anxiety around um, connecting in marriage. And a lot of times it starts when we're young, when we're students. Um, we're in our, our, our families, and um, most of us cannot say that everything went pretty perfect and so clearly there are some you know traumas some experiences some things that happen there and then we get into our schools and you know if we're bullied or there's anything that happens in those types of scenarios um, we can really find ourselves as young people feeling overwhelmed feeling ill-equipped um, maybe lashing out as a way to protect ourselves and in the end, there's nothing in our schools that is, that is really directing our young people to understand what it is to have a relationship that, you know, a friendship 
um, and a relationship that will last the distance. I mean, I have friends um, from seventh and eighth grade that I have today, and I'm, you know, this is, we're talking 40 plus years ago. And so it is possible, but we need to teach life skills. We need to have them have the opportunity to really connect with other students in a classroom where they're learning the skills that will make all the difference. And we teach literally how to avoid risky behaviors. We teach them how to understand what's going on in their heart, um, how to build a, we have an optimal health model, which talks to them about, um, is there anything missing along the lines of, you know, your health? You know, most people think it's just your physical health. Well, gee, you know, I, I don't have a broken leg. I don't have COVID, so I must be doing okay. But that is, that's not true. Um, our students are dealing with social issues. They're dealing with emotional issues. Um, many, even in our Christian schools, are, are still dealing with spiritual issues. They don't quite know where they're landing and why. And so we really bring this curriculum to them so that they can take some time to themselves in their school setting and really dive deep and, and develop a relationship, a deeper relationship that after God starts with themselves. Who am I? What am I about? Why am I here? What difference am I making in the world? These are big questions. And we're just thankful as a staff of Real Options that we're given the opportunity to go into schools and to really give our students the, the chance to think about what's going to make a difference. You know, and sometimes in school, all we think about is, oh, they're getting straight A's, so I don't have any worries. Well, as a parent, I will tell you, you still have worries. Absolutely. You need to be concerned about. And, and, and making sure that our young people is equipped are equipped with the kind of skills they need to get through life and to avoid making mistakes, critically important. Now, there's going to be um, workshops designed for both middle school-aged children, one in San Jose, along with uh, workshops taking place in Union City in the Fremont area. That'll be July 11th through the 15th. And then a week later, the 18th through the 22nd, middle school workshop again in Union City and Fremont. Want to get more information for your student or for yourself, perhaps, and how you can volunteer and make a difference, you can reach out to Friends of Real Options online Simply go to friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. Our thanks to Charmaine Williams, Education Manager with Real Options, for that update.